0: In this episode of the business of e-commerce, I talk with Edward Wimmer about how to inspire customers to become your brand evangelist. This is the business of e-commerce episode 64. Welcome to the business of e-commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start launch and grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host Charles Polesky. And I'm here today with Edward Wimmer. Edward is a CEO and co-founder of Road ID, which he started in 1999 in his basement and has since grown to helping millions of people feel safer while being active. I've asked Edward on the show today to talk about how he started Road ID and what he's done to inspire his customers to become their brand evangelist and how you can do the same. So, Hey Edward, how are you doing today? I'm doing
1: great. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great talking to someone too. Uh, it's been doing it since 99. That's uh, that's a, that's awesome to hear that. So congratulations. Um, thank you. But first could we kind of talk about what is road ID? I was looking around the site earlier. Um, kind of saw it. It's a, could you kind of explain how the bracelet works and what it does?
1: Yeah, maybe it's, uh, uh, easiest to explain it if I talk about the, the story in Genesis, uh, of road ID. So I was a, I was a college senior. I decided my senior year of college to train for a marathon. In hindsight, there's a lot better times to train for a marathon than your senior year of college. But nonetheless, I uh, uh, decided to do that with some friends of mine. And because I was a, uh, a really responsible son, I would make the obligatory calls home to the folks once every uh, week or so to let them know that I was still alive and how things were going. And uh, during one of those phone calls, I told my dad about marathon training. And he was perplexed as to why anybody would want to run a marathon. And But more than, uh, more than being perplexed, he had a concern for me out there training i told him about the long runs on country roads uh, where there were no sidewalks and 16 18 miles at a time on the weekend and he he had an immediate concern the concern was well what if something happened to you out there while training you know how would i as your father be able to know that you had an accident to be able to be notified uh, in an emergency and at 21 years of age uh, I immediately dismissed my my father's concern as, as that, uh, an overprotective father, and I went about marathon training. Well, as luck would have it, uh, or as uh, fortune would have it, uh, the that very next weekend, I was nearly hit by a pickup truck. I was on a long run on a country road uh, and uh, saw this truck coming at me at 55-ish miles an hour. I thought surely it saw me, and as they got closer and closer to me, I realized this truck has no idea that I'm here. So I jumped off the side of the uh, the road. I ended up in a ditch um, to avoid being hit. Uh, and I, I like to say that I had two very scary real uh, realizations from that ditch. One, I could have been hit by that truck. I could have been unconscious fighting for my life in a local hospital. Uh, and, and at a time where maybe I, I needed I really wanted somebody by my side. Nobody would know where I was. The hospital staff wouldn't know who I was. They wouldn't know who to contact. And that really kind of freaked me out. Uh, what scared me. Way more than that, like many times more than that, was that for the first time in 21 years, I might have to admit that my dad was <laughs> right about something. So that, I learned that's that a real, lesson. that's a real tough spot. Yeah, that's uh, that was hard. So it wasn't too long after that that uh, that he and I started Road ID from in his basement, and the whole idea was let's create a wearable ID that can communicate who you are, who to contact, how to access medical information in an emergency. So Uh, runners and cyclists and triathletes seem like a natural category of people that that go out and they train a lot they're typically doing it without any ID there's no driver's license or wallet that you're taking with you when you uh, when you go out and and train or compete in these type uh, of events so you should really carry uh, carry something in case there's an accident so wearable ID you can wear it on your wrist on your shoe around your neck uh that that communicates who you are who to contact and how to access medical information now it is very it's we like to call it elegantly simple but another way to put it is it's low tech so there is no there's no chip in it it is literally id your id information engraved on a on a wristband Uh, we do have a version that's supported by online personal health record that's stored in the cloud we also have a mobile app that does live tracking and accident sensing so if you go you can install the app on your phone you go out for a bike ride you can tell your your wife that you're going out for a ride she can live track you on a map if there's an accident it senses that and will alert her that there's been an incident and here's how you uh getting uh here's where you are so uh some some fun brand extensions for us but at the heart of it you know our our goal is to see the day when wearing ideas is as common as strapping on a seatbelt and We're very passionate about that goal and about that purpose because of the stories that we hear every day. So like you mentioned at the outset, we've been, you know, we're, we've been doing e-commerce for 19 years. Uh, It was uh, about after our first year in business where we had our first story, a father reached out to us to say thank you because his son, a cross country runner was hit by a car and because he was wearing an ID, one of our IDs, they were able to get to the hospital and, uh, and see him in a timely manner. You know, since then we've heard thousands of stories. We hear we, we hear one every day, and that's not an exaggeration. And they range the scope from the fairly uh, simple: somebody trips over a curb, knocks himself silly, relatively okay, but don't want to talk when EMS shows up and starts a- asking them questions. To customers that say they're alive today because of their Road ID, and that's really inspiring for us. That's somebody's that's somebody's mother or father or sister or brother or uncle that is alive because of this simple ID. And then we hear tragic stories that we don't talk about often that i honestly have a hard time talking about uh at at points we've had a mom post on our facebook page that because her son was wearing an id when he got hit by a car she was able to get to the hospital enough time to hold her son's hand to tell him she loved him one last time so there's a uh there's a core ethos a reason to exist that we have and it is to make ideas common strapping on a seatbelt. i mean it's you know, many of your listeners, you and I probably didn't grow up wearing, uh, wearing seat belts. We didn't grow up wearing bike hel- helmets. We didn't wear helmets on the slope and now we wouldn't do any of those things without uh, taking those those safety precautions. So there's been this paradigm shift in safety, uh, across many levels and we're trying to drive one with
0: wearable ID. Yeah. It's funny as you were just telling that story, I had a similar experience in probably around 2001. I was, uh, not marathon training, but I was doing probably between like five to eight mile runs in college and I went off for a run, uh, it was at night in the winter here in Boston. Um, and I slipped on ice, fell down, didn't get knocked unconscious, but scraped myself, hit my face, kind of got some scratches. And that's one of those things. If if I had been, there was I had nothing with me at the time. I quite literally didn't bring like keys or a wallet or anything. I would just go come back, you know, an hour or so later. But there'd be no way to actually, uh, you know, <laughs> if I wasn't conscious, there would have been no way to actually link me with, a particular place or a name so I, I definitely see why there's a need for this
1: yeah and it certainly it happens way more than we ever thought it uh, it did I mean we thought we had a a decent idea uh, when we started out and we my dad and I started the company uh, in his basement uh, and you know it, it it blows us away that here we are 19 years later and every day somebody's telling us about how they used it
0: yeah no how do you go about so there's the whole uh you know selling the selling the vitamin versus selling the Tylenol right so the aspirin whatever the analogy is on you know if somebody has a problem right now um they need new running shoes they know they need them they're going to they're going to be looking for them online you're selling something that like a seatbelt to help them not have the problem right so how do you start trying to find customers in it's almost like an education of there's something out here to help you before you have the problem. Cause you don't want them to get hit and fall down and that sort of thing. And then look for the product. You want to proactively be out there in front of them. How do you do that?
1: Yeah. So that's our, our biggest challenge was when we started and really still is today. Cause it is, you know, unlike so many uh, products that are, that exist, uh, or new companies that come come along that we become fans of, it's, it's really a newer version of something that has existed for a long time. In our case, we were creating a category, uh, a product that did not exist for a, for a group of people that did not know they needed it. So uh, education has always been the, the biggest hurdle. And, you know, it's funny, you know, thinking about back to 1999, and I don't do that very often in the days uh, in the basement with, with no money and two credit cards trying to, uh, trying to figure out, figure this whole thing out. We we started uh, in a much more traditional fashion. Even though we had a an e-commerce store, we were putting little point of purchase displays in local running shops and cycling shops, uh, and that and on those brochure or on that uh, display would be a brochure. Now remember, those brochures actually had a had a phone number, a fax number, and a a mailing address and our website on it. And so the most common thing people would do is they would fax us an order uh which was which was funny so er, generating awareness and and educating in the early days was about you know getting into brick and mortar stores with a display you know then we started placing small ads in the back of print publications back when print was still uh relevant and a good channel uh to, to market with and you know, little one-inch and two-inch ads in the marketplaces of print publications like Runners World and Bicycling uh, were uh, were viable for us. Uh, we those grew from you know one and two-inch ads to five-inch ads to six-inch ads to half-page to full-page ads uh, as we be, uh, began to develop traction inside of inside of that category. I think something important to note is that we selected really small audiences, like very narrow audiences of uh, road running and road cycling. And had we not done that, I think we would have had a much harder time getting, uh, getting adoption into, into those categories because trying to tell everyone they need road ID, uh, would have been, is a lot harder than saying, Hey, runners here, here's the thing that you, that you can face. Here's a situation that you might come across where you need
0: this product. Hey, road cyclist, here are, here's the issue that you might come across and the reasons why, why you need it. Yeah, and the thing with that is you're talking about putting an ad in run world, and now it's probably runnersworld.com Fast forward, but you can actually like talk to that person and explain to them, you're a runner, you do these long distance road road runs, um, and this is why you might need this. Here's is, here's is the challenges you face, and you could talk directly to that consumer. I'm assuming.
1: Right. Yeah, and it's you know, it's much easier to talk directly to a, a specific type of person, or much more meaningful. Uh, to talk to a specific type of person than it is to talk, to, you know, very broadly about something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, last 19 years, uh, you know, in terms of educating our consumer and prospecting and trying to, you know, it's funny I use words like words, like prospecting uh, roll off of my tongue now, but when it was, you know, 1999, we're just trying to figure it out. You know, prospecting wasn't a, a marketing term that I, that I was familiar with at the time. Uh, and, and now it is. Uh, so, it, you know, we moved from we moved from print ads to uh, to working with uh, other digital outlets as they came 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 on board. I mean, we were we were online selling before Google AdWords was a thing. I mean, there was a predecessor to Google AdWords called Overture, and uh, Overture you know was the uh, was something we that came out as we were uh, doing business online. So digital digital marketing we rode the the twitter wave as that was coming on we were lucky enough to catch the uh, the organic facebook wave and we've seen that through you know where organic facebook has uh very little relevance now and uh very little engagement due to their algorithms and to riding the wave into the paid uh paid social side of things and you know i i maintain that you know all these levers are things that you have to to pull as an e-commerce uh, company like the digital landscape is is a viable one, but there's no more powerful marketing lever. Never has been, and in my opinion, never will be uh, anything more powerful than than word of mouth, than trying, than building a relationship with a customer, and to the extent that they feel like they know know your organization or know you as a person and want to go out and evangelize uh, your your brand or product on your behalf. If you think about all the you know all the brands that you love chances are you don't love them because they had a great, uh, paid social strategy. You love them because of some sort of emotional connection they made,
0: uh, they made with you, which is why you're willing to go tell people about it. Yeah. And it sounds like that's a thing to, to last 19, 20 years. Tactics will, the tactics will come and go and some fall in favor and some, like you said, fall away. But that, that whole strategy, that's, that is the thing, right? And no matter what tactic you plug in there, it's just plugging the same tactic into that strategy and, that's what, that's what will make, uh, the business stand the test of time. For sure. But how do you actually, how do you do that with the customers and really connect with them on that? So whatever you use using a different strategy, a different tactic of either social or paid or PPC, but how do you actually connect with that customer and that user and make that, you know, one-on-one really feeling like, okay, we, we know each other and we connect on this and we see eye to eye.
1: I think it's you know there's a uh, there's several things uh, and I think it's important you know because of the uh, uh, the type of podcast that that we're doing today to to state that I think it's it's easier to do it online than it is even in real life so I, I think there's there's a way to make an, an emotional connection with a consumer more effective in a digital environment than it is in a, in a face-to-face environment. And I, and I say that because you, the way you interact with a customer online can, can be very consistent. You know? So with, peop- with people-to-people interactions, you might you know, wake up one morning and have a bad day, or you might have just broken up with your, uh, your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or uh, things might not be going that well. And that, that's going to impact the way you communicate that day. Uh, with a website and with the digital forms of communication, it's very consistent. Like you can tell the story, your brand story, uh, uh, the same way day after day after day. So I think that's premise number one, that I think it's easier to build real connections with customers uh, online. But in terms of how how we like to do that, I mean, one of the things we, we believe uh, – uh, very firmly. And even before I had ever seen Simon Sinek's Golden Circle video, which if you haven't, if your listeners haven't seen that, that should be the next thing they go do after listening to this podcast is watch yeah. Simon Sinek's Golden Circle. I feel like you know,
0: Simon has a lot of very, I kind of found out about him uh, a few years ago and he has some very good stuff, very uh, insightful.
1: Yes. And so, you know, it, the Golden Circle is all about uh, about the why and people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And a lot of times you can communicate that why in, in a story. And so we have a story. And I shared it at the outset of, uh, of this interview that, you know, our story is a, is a story of a father and son, uh, a son that almost got hit by an automobile. And they and the, the two of them together wanted to do something about it. And while that story is is very true and how how it all happened, like, it's a story that people can connect with a story of a father and son. And a story of starting a business in a in a leaky basement with two credit cards is something people can get behind. But what they get behind even more than that is why why we took that journey. And the reason the reason we took that journey was to save lives, provide peace of mind, and empower adventure. And if uh, if our customers can understand that, they make a more uh, uh, a deeper connection with us. I think you know one of my one of my most favorite advertisements was for a company, uh, of all time was for cliff bar, the, the energy bar. And it was, uh, Gary Erickson, the founder of cliff bar, uh, in a, these ads ran in a lot of publications. So outdoor magazine and runner's world and bicycling, but it was, uh, Gary Erickson, the founder of cliff bar with his dad, whose name was cliff. And they were basically, uh, walking through the woods together with, uh, with their dog. And like, that's something you can believe in. That's a story of a guy who built a company, named it after his father. And like, that's something I can believe in. I can also believe that he built that that uh, that energy bar because uh, because he was tired of eating the other tasteless energy bars of of the era Uh, and he worked in his mom's kitchen to do it. So that brand story, that why he did it, he did it because he was tired of all the junk and he did it. Uh, in his mom's kitchen, and name the company after his dad. That's something you can buy into. So, you know, telling a uh, telling a good story is, is important, um, and everybody's got one. Everybody, you know, started a company uh, has a story of of why they did that. And you know, ours, you know, ours is about saving lives and providing peace of mind, and 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 fueling adventures. Somebody else's might be about uh making the best organic hamburger that is ever uh that has ever been tasted you know so there's a there's there's that genesis that why you exist and I think is really important i think the the rest of the uh the things really go that that we do really speak to the fact that people do not want to do business with businesses they don't people want to do business with people so at every touch point and everything uh that we do we try to act like real humans and one of those things is we don't write we don't write boring copy and we've we stumbled across, across this quite accidentally back in 99 uh, when we put up our first website actually first website went up in early 2000 but uh we were writing product descriptions and we had the choice to write product descriptions like everybody else was writing them very sterile corporate speak or we could write product descriptions like we actually talk to people so we made them fun and witty and humorous. And even though we sell a very serious product, we thought we could have a lot of fun doing it. So we we tried to speak like people uh, at uh, at every touch point.
0: So um, yeah, I, give people, I I think, Go ahead. I think that whole point of just people don't wanna buy from, they wanna buy from a person or from a human. I just know there's people behind the business it is super important. Um, I've always looked at the analytics, Spark shipping, people come to the site, and I think it's our third most popular page is the about us page. So it's the, you know, top level page, pricing page. It's a SaaS product, but then about us. And um, initially there was not much time spent on it. It was just kind of a standard, you know, stock photo, this and that. Um, but then realizing people actually want to hear that story. And I started at same idea, kind of scratch my own itch. I was running an e-commerce store and had this problem, built an automation tool around it. And there, there's a whole, I don't know, I've told the story before here. Um, It's probably boring at this point, but kind of did it for that reason. And being able to connect with that, it helps when I'm talking with a retailer or just somebody in that same circumstance. And they're like, yes, that's the problem I have. I know exactly like, and it's this instant connection. And even through, like you said, digital, it actually conveys that on, I've had, you know, times where I've listened to a podcast for years and listened to the um, folks recording it and you start to feel like you get to know them. And it's funny then if you actually meet one of these people in real life, you almost feel like you know them and the person has never met you. So they have no idea who you are, but you have this like instant connection with, I've been consuming this content for it quite literally could be years. And you feel like you actually know them and you don't, you've never met, but all of a sudden you have that emotional connection. And it's the same, like you say with the brand on, you can actually feel like you're connected with the brand and clearly you've never met but somehow because you've been consuming the content and it's so in tune with you, it feels like you have that connection.
1: Yeah. There's i I, I've had that same experience uh, myself where you follow somebody and you meet them in real life and it's, you feel like you've known them for forever. Um, So yeah, it's, and that's, you know, that's the business principle that we apply here is that companies shouldn't act like company. They should act like people. And more important than just acting like people, they should act like the type of people that you, you wouldn't mind following like I, uh, that you want to be like, or aspire to, to, to be like, or that you would want to call a friend and ha- or have them over to dinner. Um, and that's, you know, it, it's important to us for people to know that this isn't, this isn't a company. There are real names and faces here. There are, there are, there are people here that care very passionately about what we do as a company every day. And to, to not, try to help people understand
0: that help our customers understand that would be a really big miss on, on our part. So you put that all right on the site too. Photos description, like of you and who's in the company and your father and all that, all that's kind of out there.
1: Yeah, it's there. It's for people to consume. Emails come from Edward at road ID. They don't come from shipping information at road ID. They don't come from uh no reply at road ID. You know so many businesses are still doing that we encourage people to reply to our emails whether we're sending out a promo email to a million people or whether we're sending out a transactional message to that you know the order receipt for the order you just placed I mean, we want people to feel like that was really sent from a person and so much so that you can reply to it and you're going to hear back from us so you know our the voicemail when you call uh, when you call into us, it, there is an automated greeting at first, but that automated greeting says, uh, thanks for your call. We're routing you to a real person as I speak. So just hang out for a second and we get you to a real person uh, within seconds. So I, you know, w- which could take me down to this this path of uh, or this rant about how I feel about automated phone trees. But when you call into, you know, call it your credit card company or your bank and they put you into an automated phone tree. What they have just told you is that they don't care about you, that they don't respect your time or your effort in picking up the phone. So we we try to do the exact opposite. We try to answer the phone uh, very quickly, oftentimes on, on the first ring, so that you know that we really do care to speak with you. Yeah, and-
0: that's one of the things there, too. I see folks just getting started. They do this it's almost, I think I've called it like the dollhouse theory before where they see big companies have that phone tree. So as a small company, they try to like mimic that and they say, well, if I call in, you know, Walmart, I have to you know, wait on hold. So we should rope people through that same phone tree. And you try to, and then you realize that's no, 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 they do that. Cause they have to Every you, you want to lean towards the other side and the benefit of working with a small company or, you know, any indiv- like a actual real company sort of thing is you don't have to go through the phone tree and you get someone there and you can actually talk to them and get a live person, like you said. And that's, that actually is the power of being a small company.
1: Absolutely. Um, we, you know, when it was dad and I in the basement, um, I think there were times when we definitely wanted to appear larger than we were. We didn't want people to think that we were two guys in a basement, but I think that landscape has really changed. Uh, you want to deal with two guys in a basement. You want to deal with the, 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 the the working mom who is starting a business in her spare time, uh, in, in what used to be the nursery or something like you want to, you want to have a real people human connection with the, uh, with the companies you're buying from. So there is, there's, I think you're absolutely right. There's
0: a strength and an advantage there. I always question too, has it changed or has, do you think, do you think it has changed or do you think you've changed and you're you're now more confident in saying, Hey, we're a small company, you know, we're not Walmart. We are, we are what we are. And here's it. And let's just, let's just show the world. And that's our value. Do you think it's the world has changed or you've changed? I think it's probably a bit of both. And
1: I say it's a bit of both. Um, because I think the startup in, uh, ecosystem, the entrepreneurship ecosystem is much different today than it was uh 19 years ago. I mean it is cool to be an entrepreneur today. Like it, there and there are lots of resources uh if you want to start a company. I mean just you know there's two of them across the street from our office uh accelerators and incubators for that uh, are almost handing out money for people with with an idea. Uh and so there's this environment that's being cultivated for the for people that want to s- start a business or do something positive in the world. And 19 years ago, I didn't see that. Like, you know, this, this country's always provided some amazing opportunity for people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, uh, try to figure something out. Like, that has always been the same, but I don't think, I don't think it's been as cool
0: to be an entrepreneur, uh, ever as it is, uh, in today's climate. Yeah. It's funny because I think we're about the same age. Um, so, you know, going to high school in the 90s sort of thing, I felt like the cool thing to do is everyone wanted to start a band. Like that was like the thing people aspired to. And now quite, quite literally, kids want to start a startup. And that is actually a thing that people do. And I remember, you know, as a like, growing up, 80s and 90s, that wasn't a thing. Like <laughs> you wanted to like, you want to start a band and that's, that's what people want to do and they would get famous. Now people want to start a startup and that's what they're going to do to get famous. So it is the new, the new cool thing to do, it turns out.
1: Yeah, it really is. And,
0: uh, that's a great analogy comparing it to, uh, to being in a band. That's, that's right. Yeah. So then, so let's fast forward. Let's just say t- you were starting. So you started, what? Well, it's 20 years ago, um, 2019, right? So let's say you're doing this today, totally different climate. You're starting from ground zero, um, started in the basement, but what would you do differently, uh, now and, you know, today in this more digital age,
1: I think one of the mistakes that that I made um, that people, I think, still make a lot, maybe less so today because of the, uh, the entrepreneur ecosystem and the start- startup e- ecosystem that exists today. But uh, I didn't ask anyone for help. I thought I had to, you know, starting a company, I thought I had to know everything. And I was very fortunate that uh you know my father was a uh, a lifelong entrepreneur your typical visionary with a thousand ideas a day and um you know it would uh you know had the had the shiny object syndrome that many typical visionaries do where you know you get so far in something and you move to something else and you move to something else but he was a great resource for me in terms of like okay we like what's step 1 we need a business license like how do we do that let's go figure that out um but i uh, beyond that, I didn't reach out to anybody for help, and that help is feel at least feels more readily available today than it did uh, 19 years ago. I mean, it it is like I mentioned the the uh, the accelerators and the incubators and the level of talent and the way you can connect with somebody digitally, whether it's uh, you know on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, uh, just being able to stick your hand up and say, you know what, I don't I don't know everything, and I need help getting through this, this next hurdle or this next problem or this issue that I'm facing right now. So if I had to do it all over again, I would certainly more proactively seek out
0: guidance and advice. Are you talking through like a, like a paid consultant or like a mentor type relationship or what sort of, like what avenues would you look down for advice?
1: Well, I, I would, uh, I would walk into the, uh, to the accelerators and incubators that exist in town and say, you know, what is this? I've got this problem I'm trying to do digital marketing. Like do you, who, who should I connect with? And they would say, Oh, well, there's, you know, you should connect with Bob or Gene or, or Sally. Like these people know their stuff when it comes to digital marketing. Uh, they can really be helpful, you know, and back, back in 1999, the question might've been something more like, how do I know if my print marketing is actually working? Um, And you just kind of muddled through and figured things out. So I uh, and then, you know, LinkedIn that didn't exist uh, 19, 20, 20 years ago. So you can search out on LinkedIn that have a professional skill set and say, hey, I'm a I'm a 21 year old kid trying to start a company in my dad's basement. And I sure could use some help. Can I buy you lunch? Um, and just pick people's brains about how they do things. People that have been there, done that before. And now, you know, we're, uh, e-commerce is, uh, you know, is so prevalent that there are a lot, there's a lot of opportunity to meet. I mean, we, we hosted a, uh, Shopify, we're on the Shopify e-commerce platform. We hope uh, we hosted a Shopify meetup here at our office a couple weeks ago. And I attended another one before that, a few weeks before that. So it, um, the resources exist today to learn how to do things.
0: Yeah. It's even just the in-person meetups. I feel like that wasn't a thing years ago. Um, when you, you know, I remember the first time I explained to someone going to a meetup that was just not like a, a well-known term. And now you say that and it's like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, how many other, how many e-commerce meetups are going on tonight at, in Boston in particular on any given day? Um, yeah, I actually went to a Shopify one last week and one of the guys would get in a coffee. I think it's actually tomorrow. Um, just kind of chat about a few different things. And it's one of those things I feel like most people just, like you said, open to that, just sending someone like a authentic LinkedIn. Hey, this is what I'm working on. Are you around? And if you see it, it's someone from your local area, you know, it's a, a real, a real person, essentially. They're not trying to sell you something more often than not. You know, I've been on both sides where either people have asked me for coffee at the lunch, or I've been asking folks. And I feel like a lot of times people are very open to that. It's definitely a, uh, as long as you're being genuine, genuine, it's a uh, very normal thing nowadays to ask for. Yeah, I think
1: people love giving advice, um, especially if they feel like their advice is, can be worthwhile. So, yeah, I have—I don't think I've ever been turned down for coffee uh, when I've asked somebody to connect because I—I I needed their advice on something, and I think that's very, very, very powerful. And I don't know that I've ever turned down anybody that said, "Hey, you know, I really could use some help with." Uh, I'm starting this company. I, I, I could use some e-commerce guidance. You got, you got a half an hour, uh, I'll buy a lunch or buy you a coffee. I, really hard to turn that down. Uh, because I've been where they are and I know the challenges and the struggles associated with it. And I've learned a few things along the way
0: that might be helpful. Yeah, totally agree with that. I and mean, I want people, you know, going into the coffee when I'm on that side, I might not be able to help you, but I'm happy to have coffee with you. Um, And like you said, it's a half hour and it's just nice meeting people in the community and being out there, that sort of thing. Um, and who knows down, down the line, some of those have actually built relationships where I've kind of kept the conversation going and made it into a little more of a, an ongoing thing. So it can definitely develop into something like that. I'd say from on the more formal side, I
1: have uh, joined a, a group of CEOs. We meet once a month. Uh, it's a, a formal organization called Vistage. You know, there's Vistage and there's EO and there's probably a few others. Uh, but we meet and we we talk about general business issues. So somebody might have a a problem they're trying to solve, and that has really helped show me that I don't have to have the answers to all of all of my problems. It's also helped show me that you know a lot of businesses have the same problems, whether you're in the manufacturing sector or the or you do e-commerce or whether you're doing a a retail environment or you own a group of restaurants, like businesses deal with the same struggles. One of the most powerful things that I ever learned was to be able to raise my hand and say, I don't know. I, I don't know how to deal with this. Who's been here before? Who's done this? Um, and that was a, that was a big shift in the way I approached business. Um, I, I, you know, coming up from, from the basement, probably for the next 10 years, I thought, I thought I had to have all the answers. So when a staff member came to me and said, I don't know what to do here. Like I had to have the answer. So I would provide an answer, be it uh, good, bad, or, or indifferent. And I, I finally learned that I don't have to have them. And oftentimes the easiest thing to do was to ask the person that was asking the question, just to say, I don't know, what do you think? And oftentimes people that are asking you questions already have an answer, but maybe a bit timid to share it. So just turning it back around and saying, and empowering uh, the, the team member to, to deliver the answer has been uh, revolutionary for, for our company.
0: Yeah. I like to think about having kind of that formal uh, group that you meet with. And if a lot of times if it's other folks that are at least in the same like level, I guess you would say, like if you're just starting, it's nice to just have a bunch of people just starting all talking about the same ideas. If you're a current business, just people all talking about the same ideas, but people in different industries, uh, like if you raise your hand and ask a question, the guy in the restaurant might have a totally new spin on that question that you would never in a million years think of, but because of their experience, it's totally unique to them. They approach it in a very different way. For sure. No, it's uh, spot on. Yeah. I, I do um, several in-person conferences with other folks in software um, each year. And I remember there was one time where it was um, I think I was in Vegas. So time difference, I was working in the morning, um, before everyone got up, had some issue. Um, there was a client problem. The whole thing went on. Came downstairs. I was kind of, you know, and thought about it. And one of the guys kind of knew from the conference. He's like, we start talking. I explained to him what's going on, and he just comes up with this idea to it that I would have never thought of. And it just happened. Oh, let's grab breakfast. We were, you know, waiting to go to the next event. Ta- and we kind of talked through what was going on. And just like the approach he had to it was something I would not have thought of. And had it, hadn't it be standing right there in line at that coffee shop that would have happened, but having that in-person connection really does mean something. Absolutely. Any other kind of things you would say that you kind of, in the past 19, 20 years, you've learned along the way that's kind of surprised you or things, you know, things that you wouldn't have seen coming earlier on. Surprised
1: me or I didn't, uh, didn't see coming. Um, you know, there have been, there have been things that, uh, that we have missed. So like I mentioned earlier that we were, we were early to, to Twitter. And as a result, uh, you know, for a brand our size, we ended up with a, a pretty large Twitter following. We were, uh, pretty early to adopt Facebook for, for the brand or the company perspective. And so we, uh, we did well there, uh, Instagram, we were late to the game on. And so that's where, that's where people live. So we've kind of had a, we've been an uphill battle with, with Instagram, but I would say, all that's all that aside, things that have surprised me. I think it's, you know, 19 years ago in the basement, we didn't really know that we we were we were gaining traction because we were treating people like people, um, and now here we are 19 years later, and we now know that's why we have gained traction. So. Perhaps what surprises me is just how powerful, important that emotional connection with a company is. Um, it, you know, I said it earlier, there's no more powerful marketing lever than, uh, than word of mouth. And uh, maybe I thought that would change at some point, but I don't think it's ever going to change. You know, hearing directly from Charles that, uh, you, I should try this pair of shoes or a pair of jeans or, uh, a, a, a certain podcast microphone, like that carries weight hearing from a company. Talk to me like a company in a paid social ad doesn't carry nearly as much weight. So I look at, I look at a company like Allbirds, uh, whose, uh, exposure online and sales of their wool sneakers have exploded. And I don't think all got got successful because they had a, a really great paid social or digital strategy. I think people connected with the, the why behind all birds and because they connected with that, why, that why they exist, wool shoes, more sustainable. Um, they were willing to tell people about it. So they bought a pair, they put them on and they showed up at the office and they told everybody they, they could about this cool company. They bought a pair of shoes from
0: I like that. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the, the fundamentals have never changed and that's kind of the, um, it sounds like one of the big takeaways here that just talk to people, being authentic and just really like connecting with folks is kind of the, the big thing here that, um, you know, whether the tactic is going to change over the years, how you approach it is going to change, but that the fundamentals don't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's going to be, there's always going to be new tactics and the tactics we employ today are very much different than they were, uh, you know, 20 years ago, but the fundamental strategy underneath that has never, uh, has never wavered. And I guess I
0: thought it probably would at some point, but I don't think it's ever going to, it's, it's, it's rooted in relationships. Awesome. I think it's a great place. I think that's a good place to end it. That was super helpful. Actually. Um, I think that's a good takeaway for a lot of folks as well, having that kind of fundamentals. Um, if people want to kind of learn more about you, learn more about the product, what can they do so?
1: Uh, you can check out our website at roadid.com or follow us on all the uh, the appropriate social channels
0: uh, at Road ID, all one word. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes. Thanks for coming on today. It was great chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Been fun.